Uh, our children, looks like they've already gotten the memo, but they can go to Children's Church now. Uh, as the rest of us find Romans chapter 10 in our Bibles. And as you do, find Romans chapter 10 in your Bible. Uh, you didn't know it when you woke up this morning, but you are going to be theologians today. You didn't realize that, did you? You thought you were going to go to church and have a nice time. Hopefully it's still a nice time, but you are going to be theologians today. We are going to think deeply and clearly about God and what he's doing, what he's up to in history and with Israel and with us. And this is probably what we're going to introduce this Sunday and look at probably for a couple of Sundays as we move through chapter 11, um, exiting this portion of Romans, this first half, um, you probably haven't thought a lot about what this scripture is going to teach us about. Some of you maybe have, but I know that you don't see a lot of books on Lifeway's top 10 list about what we're going to be talking about. So get ready. Get ready to be theologians. And before we can get into it, we need to remember the problem that Paul is addressing to begin with. Um, As we've been working through this book, we come back to several... themes often. We come back to the theme of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, the ones who are descended from Israel, God's historically chosen people, and everybody else who's come to Christ, which is pretty much us. We're in that everybody else category. But Israel, historically, they were God's people, period. They were the ones that God chose to give his blessings to, his covenants to, his word to, His uh, prophets went there. Those were his chosen people. But when Jesus came, the Messiah that had been prophesied about for years and years and years, many of the Israelites rejected him. So the problem that Paul is wrestling with, that we've been wrestling with, isn't one that you probably, you know, usually think about over your cup of coffee, but it's a really important problem to think through. How can this be? That God's chosen people throughout all of history would by and large reject Jesus, God with us. So Paul's worked through different objections. Um, He began it in chapter 9. He says um, that he just, with unceasing anguish in his heart, he is sorrowful and he wished that he himself were cut off from Christ if it would mean, mean that Israel by and large would find Christ says, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. How can they not believe? So Paul is writing this from a place of anguish. It tears him to pieces. That so many from the Jewish nation do not believe in in Christ. So I want to just pause for a second and think for yourself. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the Jewish people? Do you put them in the same category that you would put like Buddhists and Hindus? Like it's just a whole different ball game. It's a different religion disconnected from ours, Christianity. See, Paul didn't think that way because he was Jewish when he came to Christ. Christianity is the outcome of what God's been doing through Israel, 
So you have to wrestle with it. We've got to figure this out. Is God incompetent? Did he really want this special people to be his special people? And then when he gave them the the biggest gift of all in Jesus, it just didn't work. Was he just incompetent? See, Paul already addressed that. The answer is no. This was his will all along. We won't revisit that. Um, Does that make God unrighteous? Paul addressed that one in chapter 9 too. Um, Is he just mean and unrighteous to have willed for so many Israelites to not believe? Paul says, no, that's within his right. He is righteous. Um, We're not going to get back into all that. I just want to remind you of where we've been up to where we are now. Because today he's going to tackle another potential uh, answer to this problem of how so many Jewish people have rejected Jesus. Um, He's going to pose the question, have they not heard? Have they not understood? So in other words, maybe the reason so many from the Israelite nation have disbelieved is because they just haven't heard. Maybe they just haven't really heard about Jesus. Or maybe if they've heard, maybe they haven't really understood. So that's what he's going to talk through today. And um, like I said, this is theology, but you're going to walk out of here with a clear understanding of who God is. And that's going to have implications that filter down into every aspect of your life, if you'll let it. So let's pray for God to do that for us, and then we'll read this passage together. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word and giving us this opportunity to sit underneath it, to let it instruct us and form our understanding of reality and who you are and who we are. I pray that you would do Holy Spirit-empowered, miraculous things in our hearts as we listen to your voice. Help us to understand. Give us right desires to understand to know you better. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're able, would you please stand with me? We'll read Romans chapter 10, verses 17 through 21. Romans 10, 17 through 21. So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they, meaning Israel, not heard? Indeed, they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Okay, let's dig into this honestly kind of strange passage of Scripture. This is one reason I like preaching through books of the Bible. Because otherwise I would never choose this passage. It's hard work to understand this. But all of the Bible is profitable for us, and we're going to profit deeply by wrestling through this passage. So, maybe Israel just hasn't heard about Jesus. Maybe that solves the riddle of why so many of God's chosen people have not believed in him. In verse 18, he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. They have heard. 
And then for support of this, he throws out a really surprising quotation from the Old Testament. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Do you guys remember that from the beginning of the service? Probably not because I had my microphone on mute when I read that passage of scripture. But that's from Psalm chapter 19. The reason this is such a surprising passage for him to quote here is because it doesn't seem to prove his point at all. It doesn't make any sense at first glance. He's trying to say that, yes, Israel has heard the preached word of Jesus Christ. That's what, what they call special revelation. That's something God did very specifically. And then he refers back to this chapter that's clearly talking about what's called general revelation. Nature. So he's saying, yes, Israel has heard. Don't you remember Psalm 19 said, uh, everybody has seen the sky and therefore knows that God is glorious. So if this were a one-on-one conversation between me and Paul, I would have to say, wait, 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 wait. What? What does that have to do with anything? Let me read to you again the beginning of chapter 19, since you didn't hear me the first time. It says... And listen for the quotation God, uh, Paul gave in Romans. Listen for when he says, Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Okay, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Has anybody seen a really beautiful sunrise or sunset lately? Just something that made you say, Man, there is glory out there. That is just beyond me. That's what the psalmist is talking about. It says, day to day, it pours out speech. Night to night, it reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. In other words, just the sky itself by day and by night is constantly preaching. God is glorious. God is glorious. God is glorious. You may think you're glorious, but look up at this sky and feel how small you are. God created that. God is glorious. The sky itself is preaching that all the time. And then we come to verse 4. Their voice, the heavens and the sky, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So how does that prove Paul's point? That Israel has heard about Jesus. Well, there's a couple of, of options here. You know, and I've tried, you know, I researched to try to figure out, so I tell you what's true. There's a couple of options. Maybe it doesn't prove Paul's point at all, and Paul was just snatching out a verse from the Old Testament and using it illegitimately in the New Testament. Now, if that's true, it unravels everything. It means that God's word is fallible, Uh, it throws everything into question. I don't believe that that's true. Now, maybe Paul is just using the poetry of that chapter from Psalms to make a different point, and he's not actually trying to quote that psalm at all. Maybe he's just borrowing the poetic language to make a different point that's not connected at all to Psalm 19. Maybe. Maybe. But I don't think so just from how Paul has used all of his other Old Testament quotations. He's been so precise and so intentional. I don't think that's what it is. So here's what I think it is. And I say I think. I try not to preach what I think. um, 
but there's disagreement about it. But this is really from my studies, what I believe is going on here. I think Paul is quoting from Psalm 19 to compare, to compare the preaching that the sky has done for everybody who has lived under the sky to the preaching that God has done to everyone who is Israel. So here's the comparison. As all mankind is to the sky, so Israel is to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every person who's ever lived has been able to see the sky and therefore has seen glory. Every Israelite who has ever lived has been able to see the gospel. Period. I think that's what Paul is saying, which is a big statement. I think that's why he chose Psalm 19. Now, how can that be? How can he make such a blanket statement that Israel Israel has heard the gospel? But do you remember in toward the end of the gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Juke, Juke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, after Jesus is resurrected, a couple of guys, and I'm going to, whoa, I'm going to read it to you here as soon as I find it. Um, after he's resurrected, a couple of guys are walking down the road, and come on. Jesus walks up beside them, but they don't recognize him. And they're talking about the fact that Jesus had been crucified. This is in Luke 24. And he walks up beside them. They don't know who he is. And he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they say, haven't you heard all this stuff that's been going on? This Jesus guy got killed and he was this great movement leader. And then Jesus reveals to them that it's him. And he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer for these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So in other words, Jesus sat them down and said, didn't you realize that all of the Old Testament was about me and this event? See, the Jewish people have the Hebrew scripture, which we call the Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. So everyone who sits under the sky is aware of glory. Everyone who sat under the Hebrew scriptures is aware of gospel. I think that's the point Paul is making. So it's not that they haven't heard. God's been talking to them about it for centuries. Through his prophets, through his laws, through the major events of Israelite history. It all has always pointed to Jesus. We talk about that a lot around Easter, about how the Passover, when God brought them out of Egypt, how that pointed to Jesus. That's just one example of many. So it's not that there's a communication breakdown. God has been telling them, I'm sending to you a Messiah. They've heard. So maybe they haven't understood. He says in 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? And then here he comes with more confusing Old Testament quotes. He's not making my job easy with you people. I told Meredith last night, just a little behind the scenes for you guys about sermon preparation. Um, you know, I, I write my sermons out 
an outline by hand. Um, and when I have something that's like an intention bringer backer, I put it in these little brackets and I highlight it in yellow. And these are things I know, well, maybe if I've lost them at this point, maybe that will bring their attention back. Some goofy story about some dumb thing I did or something. And as I prepared this, I don't have many of those yellow highlights in my notes because it's hard to figure out what he's talking about with all these Old Testament references. But you guys are sticking with me, right? Good. It's worth it. So he, he addresses one question. Maybe they haven't heard. And then he brings up another question. Maybe they heard, but they didn't understand. And then he throws out these two different Old Testament quotes that just don't seem to have anything to do with what he's trying to answer. So let's figure out what is he talking about. Okay, in 19, the second half of 19, there's a quote. He says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Did anybody read Deuteronomy 32 this morning for your devotions? Is it on, printed on your coffee mug? No? Well, we're going to look at it. Deuteronomy 32. Now, I want to read the whole section so you get the context of where this quote is that Paul yanked out to make his point in Romans 10. Deuteronomy 32. I'll start at uh, 15. You may not understand some of this beginning stuff in verse 15, but you'll get the hang of it as we read. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God and made him, oh wait, then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. He's talking about God's people did this to God. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to gods that they that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Now, I said we're going to be learning about God. One thing you need to know about God, he is passionate. God is not cold and subhuman when it comes to emotions. He is molten hot, superhuman when it comes to emotions. The emotions you feel are just a shadow of the emotions God feels. The emotions you feel find their origin in the emotions of God the Father. So when his people 
turn from him, disobey him, worship other gods than him. He's not cold and confused like my computer is confused when Lillian gets on there and starts hitting keys that don't make sense. He is lit on fire with passion like a husband who is watching his wife cheat on him right before his eyes. He is not cold and distant and unemotional. He's passionate about his people. As a father, he is passionate about his children. So I want you to imagine, as we try to sort this out, these kind of difficult passages, I want you to imagine a father, a really, really good father. He provides for his children. He is engaged in the lives of... of, We'll just give him one child for this imaginary scenario right now. He provides for this son. He is engaged with his son. He purposefully seeks out opportunities to be with this son, to teach this son, to give this son all good things. But the son continually turns away from him. Yes, the son does what he's told. He does his chores. Yes, he obeys. He does these things. But he does not love his father. Every attempt the father makes to speak with the son falls on deaf ears. Every time the father tries to embrace the son, the child turns away. So, the father, without breaking his continual outpouring of love for this son, adopts another son. A son who was not looking to be adopted out on the street in the slums. A son who didn't earn it because he was so great. Adopts another son without stopping his outpouring of love toward his first son, he begins to pour out his love to the new adopted son. Okay, can you envision that scenario? Okay, that's us. We are this adopted son. Israel is this son that has rejected the father. So when Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, he's making another comparison. Israel made God jealous and angry by worshiping gods who were no gods. God, in his passion to reach this difficult child, adopted a people who were no people to make them jealous and angry. And that's us. There's a sense in which we as non-Jewish believers, are a taste of their own medicine. See, God is up to big things. Your salvation, your faith, is about more than just you and God. There's a sense, a very real sense, in which your salvation and faith is about Israel. There's a sense in which what we're doing here, making disciples of Jesus Christ from Gentile nations, it's about them, it's about us, it's about God, but it's more than that. It's also about Israel, what God is doing with his original chosen people. 
I'm going to let that sink in, because I wonder if some of us have never heard that. Now, as that sinks in, call to memory the original question that Paul's supposed to be answering. Did Israel not understand? How does all this answer that question? Well, I think it's the contrast that answers the question. Did they not hear? Yes, of course they heard. God made sure they heard throughout the whole Hebrew Scriptures. Well, maybe they didn't understand. Yes, they understood. Look at the contrast between them and the adopted, the Gentiles. The Gentiles... I'm sorry, I completely forgot verse 19. I have to read verse 19 before we move on. It proves everything I was just saying. He quotes from Isaiah where he says, God talking to his people, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then he goes on into the next verse of that Isaiah quote. That's what we're talking about now. See, the Gentiles did not seek God. They did not ask for God. And yet they found God and they saw God. Israel, God sought and God asked for, yet they rejected him. You see the contrast between the two? That's what he says in verse 20. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. They've heard, they understood, they disobeyed and contradicted rather than accepting. So here we are, Gentiles, we weren't seeking God, asking for God, and yet we found him and saw him because he took us in. Here they are. God has been seeking and asking for them throughout all of history. They rejected him in his most clear representation, Jesus Christ. He says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Some of you who have children know that wonderful feeling of being in the room with your child and you just hold out your hands, you don't have to say anything, and they come running up into your arms. It's the greatest feeling in the world. When David and Sandy are not here, my favorite part of Sunday mornings is when uh, Lillian and Elias see me from across the room and come running into my arms. When David and Sandy are here, they go running into Papa and Grandma's arms. <laughs> to see little Lillian in her dress, you know, running down the aisle, um, you know, I don't care how important a conversation I'm having is, I, you know, I grab her up. Now, some of us have also experienced holding out our hands to our child and them turning away. Cold. Not interested in our embrace. See, God's the kind of father who holds out his hands. See, some of you had fathers who may never have held out their arms for an embrace. God's the kind of father who holds out his hands outstretched for his children. He wants them to come to him to receive his embrace, to be wrapped up in his arms, to be held tight, close. And here's Israel. And they respond with disobedience. They're contrary. Those words mean refusing to be persuaded, obstinate. Have any of you parents ever 
experienced obstinacy in your children? Some of your children are sitting right beside you. God's experienced that too. But his arms never tire. They remain outstretched all day long. See, God, you know, we've learned a couple things about God from this passage, this kind of strange passage. He's passionate. He's up to big things. Um, And the idea I want you to leave with is that God's arms are open. As we try to figure this whole thing out, and and all of chapter 11 is pretty much still about trying to figure this thing out with Israel. So we're going to be revisiting this if you're not understanding still. I'm not sure I'm understanding still. Um, But his arms remain outstretched, open, all day long. You may have heard people who object to our faith say, I cannot believe in a God who sends people to hell. As if God were dragging people, kicking and screaming, who really, really want to worship him who really, really want to be with him, as if he's dragging these poor people and flinging them out of his presence into hell. That is not at all the case. People are running for hell. People are diving for it like it's home base to get away from God, to be their own gods. No one has ever tried to turn to God and found him with his arms crossed And his head shaking. Anyone who has turned to God through Jesus Christ has found outstretched arms. His arms are outstretched for you and for those loved ones that you're so concerned about. For your children, for your parents, for your family, for your co-workers, for your enemies, for um, those people across the world you read about in the headlines. Who just seem so evil. God's arms are outstretched. So as we wrestle through these things, may we never forget that. May we all find our way into his embrace. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who has promised to guide us into truth. I confess, and I think I can speak for most of us, when we really start to think about you and who you are and what you're doing, It's more than just a little bit beyond us. Your ways are not our ways. But Lord, we love you. We recognize that you are the most real and important fact of reality. We want to build our lives around you. Thank you for teaching us about who you are. Thank you for revealing your character, your personality to us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for adopting us in. We confess that we didn't deserve it. And Lord, we pray for Israel. Lord, may all of your children come willingly, joyfully into your arms. And all those people that we care about, that we're concerned about, those people that we can't even imagine coming to you. Lord, I pray that you would turn their hearts. 
Use us, if you would, to preach the word of Christ to them. But in all things, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.